Hey, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Please check out my stand-up dates at thecaseymcclain.com. Also, follow me on all social media at thecaseymcclain. Check out stand-up clips and videos of mine at youtube.com slash McLean. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is where I host this podcast. It's where the file sits. It's also a great place if you want to start a podcast where you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can get your podcast to that platform very easily. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello and welcome to the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. This is Casey McLean. Um, hello and welcome to the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. This is Casey McLean. Uh, I'm here solo today. Um, I think the universe is conspiring against me. By the way, by by the universe conspiring against me, I mean mostly my own lack of willpower is conspiring against me having a podcast guest this week. I had um I did record a podcast with Dees Casillas. I did a podcast um while I was on the road in Spokane, Washington with Dees and there's some audio issues with it and now he's in Mexico. He's fleeing he's fleeing his podcast mistake. We recorded it at his studio. Um, yeah, it's not my not my equipment, so we'll see if it'll be salvageable. It was a really fun conversation. Uh, he's like a libertarian leaning guy, a comic. We talked about some like serious topics in a way that I think is like very much a comedian's way of dealing with uh, grief and sadness. But it may never it may never see the light of day. Unless enough people complain that they didn't get to hear Dees Casillas, who produced the uh, three of the five shows I did this weekend, um, all the ones in Spokane, Spokane Valley, and uh, Lewiston, Idaho, you might never see the light of day. It cuts around a bunch. That's the problem. It's not like it's it's not like it's like echoey or sound shitty. It's that. The timing will be fucked and you won't even necessarily understand what's going on some of the time because it bounces around so much. So, I mean, if you want to hear it, let me know. I've been bothering. If B, also, if D, if D sends me a file that doesn't have that problem, but I know enough about audio recording that I don't think a file like that exists. And then I tried to get um, my, my friend Mike Mazzalotti on the podcast. Mike is a comic. He was the former uh, manager of Seattle's Comedy Underground. He now is the owner, and I'm sure on the production team, at uh, Third Wheel Studios. He's a very funny guy. He's also, I'm sure I talked about this on the podcast, but when I when I opened for Chris Porter at Tacoma Comedy Club, Mike Mazzalotti helped me sell merch on the final show. And the four shows prior to that, I had averaged like $200 in merch sales every show. We sold 600 bucks that show because Mike is like a carny barker. 
He's a man. I tipped him 50 bucks. Tipped him. I just handed him 50 bucks because I made way more than 50 more dollars than I would have with him there. So pretty awesome. Pretty awesome guy. And I was supposed to do a podcast with him about the Comedy Underground on um, on Friday. And I was, I was there with uh, my friend and past podcast guest, Ryan McComb. He's like the uh, welcoming committee in Spokane. And we went out and got drunk, if, if I'm being honest. And by the time I got back to the hotel, it was actually, I think Mike might still have been awake, but I was pretty buzzed. And it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made a good podcast. Maybe if we were in person, but like doing a drunk podcast alone is precarious. And then doing one over Zoom is like a nightmare. So um, before I before I move too much further, uh, please check out this month is light. I'm uh, I had a, such a busy June and it's such a busy April, and I had my tonsils taken out in May, so I'm really testing the uh, the will of my wife to put up with comedy along with a day job and a podcast. So July is pretty light for bookings. I am. I think it's July 24th. I'm headlining the, well, no, let's start with this. July 7th, I'm headlining uh, Northwest Peaks in Seattle. July 24th, I believe, I will be at Peninsula Beverage Company. I'm headlining that show with Greg Beachler, past podcast guest, uh, many times, my opener. And, uh, yeah, that'll be fun. And then August, I'll be in... This got moved. I was going to open for Chris Porter at Spokane Comedy Club at the end of July. Instead, August 13th through 14th, I will be opening for Bobcat Goldthwaite in Spokane. That'll be a fun time. I haven't seen Bobcat stand-up. Um, he's an amazing movie director, a very funny actor, but he started out as a stand-up. He's like a real stand-up. A lot of times, these guys will get famous and start doing stand-up. That's not Bobcat. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, well, I guess the thing that I want to talk about the most, because I'll talk about these shows that I did in Spokane a little bit later, but since I started doing comedy, the Seattle Comedy Underground has been rumored to be like facing its demise. If, if, uh, if you're a Seattle sports fan... You might remember that we grew up with the Mariners being about to leave the state. Uh, the Seahawks were going to leave. So at the time it rolled around that the Sonics were at risk, like I didn't even believe it. The Sonics are an institution, and I think they were the longest, they were the, the earliest uh, professional team in Seattle of the major sports. I know we had like the Seattle Metropolitans and the early 1900s, but so in that way, I've heard the Seattle comedy underground was going to close so many times that I kind of believed it was just like a cockroach. It was never going to, it was never going to die. And then the pandemic hit, I did a show. My last pre pandemic show was March 11th at comedy underground. I did 10 minutes on this show called Seattle's Best Comics, and I did okay. I actually had a decent set considering how small the crowd was. 
I did a bunch of new material. It was very fun. What I didn't know is that that was going to be my last time ever at Seattle's Comedy Underground. It's a historic room. It's, uh, by the way, I'm going to shit on it too. Like it's not, I'm not going to, this isn't just like me eulogizing my beloved place. I'm going to give you guys some, some of the real shit on the Comedy Underground. Um, yeah, Comedy Underground was, I think it had been around for like 40 years the original location is where the flat stick pub in Seattle is. And the Nisqually earthquake, which I think was 2001. This is my understanding of the history, by the way. And I am drinking right now. So this is like the worst episode of drunk history that you've ever seen. Um, had like so many legends came through the comedy underground. They did a thing that's kind of similar to what a lot of comedy clubs do, especially ones that have been around for 30, 40 years, is they have headshots of all these legends that have performed there. And they had like Seinfeld and um, Mark Marin, Louis C.K., I think like Dana Carvey, like going way back. Guys that got, that were young comics, became famous, became uh, reviled hacks and. Louis C.K.'s up there. I'm not, not putting him in that category. I know he became reviled for a different reason. Uh, a lot of people have performed there. Um, I was supposed to... I was scheduled... So I did March 11th. I was scheduled to do a weekend with Gabriel Rutledge there, April 2020. And I... Because this rumor of the Comedy Underground's demise has been so pervasive... And long lasting, I was like, I'm going to try to record something there. I have 20 minutes of material that I keep trying to find the right set to record. And I thought I had it on Sunday, by the way. I want to put out video and audio, not a special, but I want to put out, you know, two cameras. Give me, give me something to edit with 20 minutes of material about kids. And I fucked it up. I had a good set. Great recordings. Like four mics pointed at the audience. There were two mics on stage. And I fucking recorded the wrong mic. I recorded the other mic. So the whole time, what you hear is the speakers playing me into a stage mic that's I'm not talking into. It's upsetting. I was very angry. I threw my headphones when it happened, uh, when I realized. So, um, I never, I mean, again, like the, the, so the comedy underground, this is, I guess I'll start with my history with the comedy underground, which is there used to be one in Tacoma, the city I live in. And the first live in-person comedy show that I went to, I believe was, uh, Chris Brannon, Sonic's guy who passed away recently. Rest in peace, Chris Brannon. Uh, we used to be decent, decent friends. And he, uh, he got me and two friends in to the comedy underground. Huck Flynn headlined, um, which is funny, is a funny name to hear about as a comedian. I think the first live comedy I show, comedy show I saw was Huck Flynn. 
Shortly thereafter, the Tacoma Comedy Underground closed. Um, there were at one point there were three clubs in Seattle, and now there is two, but there's two very different clubs. There were um, three clubs trying to book the same comics, same type of comics, basically. The at the Comedy Underground, the it was, there was one called Grit City Comedy and Tacoma Comedy Club, where I headlined on Sunday, which is the place I did my first open mic, etc. And that's kind, of, that's kind of the place the Comedy Underground holds for a lot of people, by the way. Is a lot of local comics, even if you see them somewhere else, they did their first set at the Comedy Underground, or one of their first sets at the Comedy Underground. Um, I did maybe my first book show. I think it was my first book show. I did a guest spot. A scheduled guest spot. I was recording an album for a guy I was friends with at the time who was a comedian. And uh, I did my first guest spot. I posted a still from it. It was like one year into doing comedy. I posted, or I did a guest spot. Um, I think that's right. And I have, it's also the first video. Because I had album quality audio. So I had video and album quality audio. It was like my first ever booking tape and looking back on it it's fucking horrific it's so bad so i'm not like uh i don't i don't prowl the stage like chris rock but that guy this 2016 guy doing a guest spot at the comedy underground he didn't move his feet it was bad so uh it was I don't, but I guess that's the thing is like so many, there's so many comics. The comedy underground is the closest we have in Seattle to like a New York or an East coast club where people hang out. They end up doing, you know, showcase shows all week. It's, it's, uh, becomes like kind of a, a graduating class of comedians because they're not booking stars there. That's the other thing they're booking. It's like a like a B or C club. It was a B or C club. I remember when I first when I did my first open mics there, they always talked about how boy, that sounded like very Philadelphia. I know this comic. I just realized this comic that I know is from Philadelphia and I was doing the Philly accent at him, and I'm worried it's it's creeping in. The first open mics I did it at a I think I think I sounded Philadelphia again. The first open mics I did at Comedy Underground were um they would tell you like you're very likely to get bumped. Don't take it as offensive. Not everyone gets on. Uh you're gonna get bumped from the show. Bumped means they you sign up for an open mic and they don't put you on the list. The way the sign ups work there is you there'd be like fifty people sign up, thirty people get on. So you know, a huge chunk of people got bumped. And the first four times I went, I didn't get bumped. I got on all four shows. And I was like, holy shit, I am, I, like, I'm unbumpable. I think I thought that in my head one day, driving home from Comedy Underground. I was like, I am unbumpable. And then I got bumped the next four times I went there. So uh, I was bumpable. As it turns out, I was bumpable. I had... Let's see, who did I work with? I told this story on on the podcast with Greg Beachler, but 
I got booked to MC for Jack Knight, who is a Seattle native. He is a very good comic, and he's going to be very famous one day. He's very young. He's very good looking. He's very talented. He wasn't a big Casey McClain fan. I'll tell you that. He started the Nobody Likes Casey McClain podcast. He didn't realize it yet, but he, uh, I did like okay with his crowd because he has like a little bit of a draw here. He's a little bit of a draw in Seattle. I will say that like the, I think the Saturday early show was a lot of his family. That's like the prime. No, maybe it was the Sunday show. Maybe we did a Sunday show, but it's like, it was, it was like, I think it was Saturday early. Cause it's like a prime, uh, prime show, like the best show of the weekend. It's a lot of his family. It looks like people who are dressed up for church and, uh, that was my worst show of the weekend. His family was not a fan of the comedic stylings of one Casey McClain, except for his brother, who I believe is named Marcus and might be on my phone as Marcus Jack Knight's brother. I opened for a dude there named John Hastings, who's, I think he's Canadian, but he's become big in like England. I did, um, who else did I feature there for? I featured for Gabriel Rutledge one year. I'm not like, this is why I'm not in love with the comedy undergrounders because they were never like, they never took an interest in my comedy. They never were like, let's, let's, we believe in Casey McClain. We want to be in the Casey McClain business. They never did that. They never, I never felt like they had an interest in my comedy. I was always having to pester them for spots. And trust me, I get it. Like I got more spots than a lot of people there. Don't get me wrong. But I, everything I've done, every spot I've gotten in comedy, almost all of them are from me pestering bookers. It's not like, but I do think that there's a thing. First off, it's a legendary club. There's been amazing comedians there. There's been like Paul Reiser, I believe was at the comedy underground. So you're not going to take anything away from the legendary status of that club. Uh, even if you don't like it, though, and I think this is a good outlook to have if you are a an employee of a company or if you have some loyalty to something. I, I'm very sad that the Comedy Underground is gone because I think the comics take for granted how lucky they are to get club spots on a weekend. People think they deserve that shit and they, and they, uh, and they act like that. I've been, I was, I've been telling a story the last couple of weeks that I just remembered because I was talking to somebody about it off of a podcast. I was on this showcase once I got, um, I got booked to host and this comic. So the comic, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to try to give as little detail about the comic as possible, but I was, I'm booked to host this showcase. Uh, the comic that booked me, sorry, I wasn't booked. To, I wasn't booked to host the showcase. A showcase gets booked. Then the person who was going to host it needs to sub out. So they ask me, so I don't even book the showcase. I'm just hosting. I didn't even, it wasn't even the original host. I arrive the manager of the comedy club goes, I mean, somebody fucked up on these, on these set times. I got to cut everyone's time from 15 to 12 minutes. 
And I go back to the green room where all the comics are, and I tell all the comics, all the comics, the the times got cut. Everyone's doing 12 instead of 15. And this one comic goes, you got to be fucking kidding me. I've been planning for 15 all week. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, I'm not, I didn't make the decision. And they go, you need to go back and fix this. And I was like, I'm not fixing it. It's not even my show. Like, I'm not, uh. It's not my, I don't have any investment. I'm doing 10 regardless. You know? <laughs> like, I don't give a fuck about how long of a set you do. And then that comic just started bitching and complaining and whatever. And so I just left the room because it's like, you're just annoying at that point. And uh, I waited like 20 minutes. The show's, you know, relatively close to starting. I walk back in and they go, um, did you fix it yet? Did you get our times fixed? And I was like, oh, no, I didn't even ask. Like, I'm not, that's, whatever you thought, whatever thing you thought you were instructing me to do, I wasn't going to do it. I'm, uh, I do not care about your time. That's a good thing to learn, too, right? Like, I don't care about, I don't expect anyone else to care about how much time I'm doing on stage. You got to care about that yourself. But why would I care? Why do I care? I don't even, I'm getting 50 bucks and a free meal. I'm not fighting a manager over some other comics time that it's fair and equal for everybody. Come on. So a lot of comics take it for granted. A lot of, a lot of comics take the fact that in Washington state for the entire time I've been doing comedy, there's been basically like seven, five to seven club spots that are usually booked using locals per weekend five to seven maybe maybe up to nine at a point depending on how many clubs were open at once there's like 500 comics in this area maybe a thousand there's a lot of people who identify as comedians and one or less than one percent of them are doing club gigs uh, on the weekend, and by the way, that's that's host and feature. A lot of these, a lot of these clubs, the the features from out of town or the. So my point is, is that these spots are scarce, and it doesn't matter if they're at the Comedy Underground or the clubs I work. Like it doesn't matter because those people, the people who had those spots elsewhere, are going to start taking the spots. The, the less spots there are for the same amount of comics, the less work we are all going to get, right? So even if it was a pain in the ass for me to get booked at the Comedy Underground. Um, and I told the story last time, but the first the first booking I got was that Jack Knight MC Weekend. And Mike Mazzalotti, the guy I was trying to interview, and I was going to tell him this story. And I'll have him on at some point to tell him this story. But uh, he was the manager. He books me. He gets me on a weekend before he leaves. <clears throat> so let's say it's June. He books me in June to perform in November. Then July, he gives up his job as manager. Then a new manager takes over. Then another new manager takes over for this, the first new manager. And I send, it's getting close to November, and I send the manager at the time a message. I was like, hey, uh... I was booked for this November weekend to MC, 
do you have me on the calendar? And he goes, no, I don't. Sorry. Like I don't, we've, you know, obviously there's been multiple managers. Um, sorry, I don't have you. We'll have to reschedule, which we'll have to reschedule probably means we're not going to reschedule, but it's an easier way to get out of this conversation without a conflict. And I was like, okay, well, who is booked? Maybe it's somebody that I can switch with. Maybe it's somebody that works the club pretty often that I'm friends with that I could, you know, ask for a favor. And he goes, oh, actually, it's Mike Mazzalotti, the very Mike Mazzalotti that booked me. I think Mike was just uh, stoned the whole time. But shout out to Mike Mazzalotti. He's on Third Wheel Studios Seattle. They have a podcast studio. Uh, he's, he used to go by unfunny Mike on social media. I wonder if that's still true or if he's just Mike Mazzalotti. Sweet guy. But I don't, yeah, so I don't have the emotional connection, but I think that from just like a business perspective, every comedian should want the comedy underground to stay open, to reopen, to be open. What is that? What's that saying? Like. Don't get ready, be ready. Don't reopen, be open. Um, I'm making a cocktail. If you're if you're just listening, if you're not watching, I'm making a very simple cocktail: a, a ginger, ginger ale, and crown royal. I'm starting to have quite a collection of whiskeys, but what I'd like is a collection of whiskeys that I don't feel bad about mixing, but that I could also drink straight. You know what I mean? Like that's my level of whiskey is like, if I'm willing to put in the time and effort and mental energy, I can appreciate it straight. But also I don't feel bad pouring a little sugary ginger ale in it. All right. Let's talk about the weekend because so rest in peace. Comedy underground is the point. Uh, hopefully it'll reopen the Seattle international comedy competition, which has used the comedy underground as a venue is still a go. So it seems like there's a decent chance. They're going to have a venue to do it in. Maybe it'll be the same people involved in it. Maybe not. They also do a bunch of theaters and shit. So, uh, maybe it'll be less shows, you know, who knows, but it's sad. It's sad. It was a historic room. It was a, it was a room that my first, actually my first interaction with that club is the year the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. I guess 2012. Is that right? I went to Seattle to watch the game. I wanted to watch the game in Seattle, even though it took place in New York. I wanted to watch the game in Seattle. I wanted to celebrate with Seattle Seahawks fans in Seattle. If the Seahawks won or commiserate, with Seattle Seahawks fans in Seattle if they lost. And um, when we got there, there's like a mad rush for places to sit and watch the game. As you might expect. And the place we finally ended up after a lot of attempts was this sports bar called Swanee's that was right above the Comedy Underground. And... Uh, <clears throat> it was, we took a trip down to the comedy underground. You could sit in the comedy underground. They had a projector, uh, on the stage, 
and no, seats at just absolutely god-awful angles. In Swanee's, we ended up, we got lucky. We had a group of five, and we got split up. My wife and I were part of the five. And we sat next to these, we sat at the same booth as these two people right next to a TV. It worked out great for us. And it's like a, it's like a, uh, a memory for me that's very special because it was like, you know, some of my best friends, the, my favorite team winning a Super Bowl. We're literally, we're literally in the top floor of Swanee's, which is, it has two floors. The Comedy Underground is below it. My friend and I, there's a picture of us hugging and crying because the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. They hadn't even won it yet, actually. It was halftime. It was uh, right after halftime. But that game, if you remember, was so out of hand. It was so uh, out of contention that we were celebrating early. Um, man. I uh, Okay. So that's it. Rest in peace, Comedy Underground. Please, you know, owners and those involved, I hope they bounce back. I'm working with the... Uh, the most recent manager of the Comedy Underground, Robert Pitty, will be on that um, July 7th show at Northwest Peaks. So come check that out. This weekend, <laughs> this isn't going to be on the Dece, the episode. Unless Deese Casillas sends me a good clip, you'll never hear the story, so I'm going to tell it. First show of the weekend, Ruby River Hotel. I arrived to the showroom at half hour before the show. Nobody's there to see the show. I, uh, that's not surprising, by the way. That happens. Around, um, I don't know, five minutes before the show, there's seven people in the audience. And a female person sticks their head in the room and goes, what's going on in here? And Deese goes, it's a comedy show. Come on in. Come sit down. Turns out this is a 13-year-old girl. And so not only does she come in, but she brings in five of her friends. So six 13-year-old girls in the back of this room. I watched them watch Deese. They didn't like him. I watched them watch me for my first 20 minutes where I've shoved... The closest thing I have to PG-13 material to the front of my act. They don't like me. Bombing the whole time with these girls. The other the other audience members, I will say, like I had a pretty high success rate with the rest of the audience. Uh, at one point before the show, the father of one of these girls comes in. And he goes, what are you guys doing? And they go, uh, well, it's we're watching this comedy show. We got invited to watch this comedy show. And he goes... Should I stay? And they go, no, it's girls comedy night, which these are the scenarios. Okay. These are the scenarios. One is the dad stays. He leaves during Deesa's set with the girls, removes them forcibly. I'd be okay with that one. The other is the dad leaves temporarily, comes back during my set forces these girls to leave. The other is the dad comes back. Here's what I'm saying. Stays to kick my ass. And the fourth scenario I think is actually the second best. The best scenario would have been they leave before I'm on stage. The 
Next best scenario is that I don't have to deal with this dad, and that's what happened. He never came back. So I bomb for 40 minutes with six 13-year-old girls, and then two of them bought my merch shirts, and I have no idea why. I also felt like I don't think I'm allowed to take a credit card from a 13-year-old. And the only reason I know they're 13, by the way, is because I, I didn't see them that closely. I was on stage, but I was like, I made a joke about how I'm going to end up in a 16-year-old's blog tomorrow. And I the room was so poorly attended that I could hear him go, oh, my God, he thinks we're 16. Like, whisper that to each other. It was awkward. I listened to this book called uh, Running the Light, which is... It's by Sam Talent, who's a comic. He must be a Denver comic, but the the book is about like a road dog comic in probably his 50s, used to be a big star. Now he's not a big star, but he's, you know, lifelong comic. He's touring Denver on these like low paying, but gigs you could string together. And, uh, He's estranged from his family. He's divorced from his ex-wife. He hasn't talked to his sons in years. He's friends with all these guys who became stars, but he is not a star. He's a cocaine addict, an alcoholic, traveling to these bumfuck towns in, in Colorado. And I'm listening to this. I turned it on. I started this book as I pulled away from my house to drive to Spokane. And I finished this book the second night of this three-city run, this three-show run, in a hotel room in 105 degree or some shit like that, Lewiston, Idaho, where I had to pick the bed closest to the air conditioner to be able to... to live to be able to sleep to survive i finish it there and it's this book that's just like so wonderfully written and by the way i'd be curious if you listen to it as a non-comedian what you think of it because i think it's really good i think it's also like the thing about it and the thing about any book like this is uh it's it's got like it's like you get like by the way and I'm going to I'm going to reference two things that I don't or th- something I don't really know that well but it, it's like the act 2 and 3 of the hero's journey meaning you you start it when this guy's already left home and he makes a return home to see his ex-wife he sees his children you get to see what that's all about and I'm away from my daughter and I'm I'm making not incredibly good money bombing in front of strangers in Lewiston, Idaho, and I'm drinking and I'm tired and I'm, I'm uh, sad and lonely because that's what the road is. Especially like you're staying in like a, like a kind of shitty motel. It's got like when, when you get up to a hotel or I guess this is, I don't know what the difference between a hotel and a motel is because what I thought it was, was that a motel, the doors open to the outside they called this a motel, but it wasn't that. But if you go to a hotel and they have a construction worker special, not a good hotel. I went to um, 
Richland, Washington. I might have told this story on the podcast already, but <sighs> one of the first times, one of the first times I emceed in Richland, Washington, which I did about five times because I was investing in my career as a comedian. I think the second time I got a I got a room at the Motel Six. Yeah, Motel Six. It's the, it was the closest lodging to the club. And I show up and I'm like, you know, got my bags and shit. And I was like, hey, what's the Wi-Fi password? The guy tells me the Wi-Fi. And he goes, hey, just so you know, that Mexican restaurant in the parking lot, they're going to they're gonna do some work on their transformer around 10 o'clock. You'll, you and the crew will be long in bed, but he thinks I'm a construction worker. He's like, but I just want to let you know. Like, you'll, you'll be fine. You guys are in bed early enough, and it'll be cool by then. So he thinks I'm a construction worker. And I don't realize this until I'm walking to the He's like, is that going to be okay? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Got, like, one earbud in. I go to the room. Uh, immediately go buy a bottle of George Dickel Tennessee whiskey and a rocks glass. I uh, go fill my ice bucket up. I think that I see like a moth fall into the ice bucket. I dig through the ice. I'm like, I must be seeing something. That's crazy. I might. I didn't think it was a moth. I thought I, I just ruined the story. But I thought I saw something. And then I can't find it. I can't find whatever fell in there. So I drink some whiskey. Do the shows. They're fine. I realized that the shows get out about 9.30. So I'm like, fuck, I got to get food and back to the hotel. I get back. It's like 9.55. Sit down. Too much Taco Bell on the table. Glass of whiskey and ginger ale. Much like right now. I'm reliving the scene a little bit too realistically right now. And um, 10 o'clock rolls around. Lights are still on, baby. I'm still partying. I'm still drinking whiskey and eating Taco Bell. 10.05 rolls around. Still good. No problems. All of a sudden, about 10.07, you hear a click. And the lights slowly fade. Which is like, if that was written into a movie as the metaphor for me committing suicide that night with a table full of Taco Bell and a bottle of whiskey, you'd be like, that's a little on the nose, writer. So I'm in one of these hotels in Boy in a, in a Lewiston, just feeling the whole book. I mean, I'm feeling the whole book. It's fantastic. And it's, it's uh, narrated by, a bunch of different comics, which sounds good. It sounds cool. And it is cool. And at times not great the whole time. And then it finally, the show, uh, it culminates happy, a happy ending to the weekend and a happy ending to this podcast. Hopefully what, Oh yeah, I've done plenty. Um, because on, on Saturday I do, uh, the show in Spokane Valley, 
my cousin has just turned my cousin's son just turned 21 i think that i think my cousin's son is my second cousin just turned 21 buy him a couple shots i actually brought him on stage in kind of a hacky way um and then i come back to tacoma i see my daughter i reunite with my daughter that's great my wife takes her to my in-laws i go to a show with a, a great northwest comedian named kermit apio um at spoke or at tacoma comedy club and then i headline and i get there and i get all the i get all the way through the show it's great i have video of it i have three cameras uh two of my own and then I, I hired a guy i hired my friend steve hammond to come and film like walk around the room get shots from all kinds of different angles i have beautiful footage of this show and i go to fucking start editing and the audio's fucked i said this earlier but the audio's fucked and that's um yeah, I guess like uh, you know, wait another couple months because I might. I'm trying to put this fucking material out because I'm sick of. Oh my god, this sucks! It just turned. It, it was supposed to end happy. I said it was going to end happy. It's depressing now. I did start selling again these posters that I made for a joke I have about the middle aged mutant ninja turtles. I got to put merch up on my uh, website because I'm going to I'm going to start switching merch over but I kind of want to just hang on to like a couple of the old shirts of all sizes to sell to people that want them especially if I include like a merch pitch in the in this video slash it's not going to be an album but it'll come out on iTunes or whatever as an album. All right, the audio just cut off. Uh I'm now multiple whiskey gingers in. Got to get this podcast out. That's what it's going to be. We're going to have some cuts. Listen, I was complaining about Deez's shit, and now here I am with what I have. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Follow me at the Casey McLean on all social media platforms. Check out thecaseymcclain.com slash calendar for future stand-up dates. Please come out and see me. Uh, support this podcast financially on anchor.com. I don't know why, or anchor.fm. I don't know why people do it. You don't get anything extra, but you can feel good about yourself Thank you for listening to this podcast, and I will talk to you soon.